Coming up tonight on the first Big Footy Review podcast, Fremantle are undefeated, GWS upset the Hawks, and the Blues continue to be appalling. All that and more, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first Big Footy Review podcast. Uh, we're talking about all the events from the weekend, and I, I am the Wookiee with me, of course. I have uh, a stellar crew. I've got Mike from the Western Bulldogs board. Good evening, gentlemen and listeners. And a uh, very exuberant Seppo is with us from the Fremantle board. Good evening. So, guys, uh, straight into things tonight. What were your highlights from the weekend, Seppo? Oh, my highlights were just the uh, upsets everywhere except for my own game. It was just uh, good to see not only Saints get up, but t- teams like the Giants and Eagles and, and Lions all sort of against the odds win their games. And I suppose you can even consider Geelong probably. I'm not sure if they started outsiders against the uh, informed Pies, but good to see them brought back to earth and Geelong just start to make their way back into form that you think you knew it was going to come at some stage. But it's just good to see some of those uh, outsiders get up. Hmm. Mike, what was your highlight from the weekend? Huh? I think in summary, it was just ratifies the results, of, or the, sorry, the weekend results ratify how open this competition really is um, in terms of team capabilities and, you know, things you see in terms of what's perceived as upsets and, and, and how well teams can play one week compared to the next. Hmm. I think it's going to be a, uh, you know, anyone's race this year. Well, anyone except Brisbane and Carlton, maybe. Um, my highlight for the weekend, Jeremy Cameron's seven goals against Hawthorne. Every single one of them must have been just another nail in Messenger's coffin. And that's always uh, a good thing for football, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's probably why he's decided not to uh, grace us with his presence tonight, but that's OK. It, we'll, it, we'll, we'll forgive him tonight. He's probably out buying a new TV as we speak. first round, and Collingwood played Geelong on Friday night. Um, Geelong not really, ex- probably not really favourites for this game. Collingwood being second on the ladder at the start of the, start of the round. But Geelong getting up by 41 points, bit of a surprise for some. Yeah, yeah I suppose. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Go for a sippo. Alright, well, I-, I caught a game in really looking forward to uh, Collingwood um, sort of stretching on from what they started from the year, but it was just funny that they'd kicked up, to, I think it was two goals up until half time, and I had some mates tell me after the game, they actually heard some uh, fans at the Melbourne victory game, I think they had started a chant there to say they'd actually kick more goals than Collingwood I think <laughs> while the games are both simultaneously played at the same time, mm-hmm. so it's just so funny to see uh, a slow start from them when they've been just in form and, and Geelong really getting back to what I suppose Geelong do best and 
putting on 15 goals and getting to 100 points. It's something that they've probably struggled to do recently. Um, and I caught sort of bits and pieces of that game, but it was just good to see that um, Geelong probably was led by a couple of their younger players. And this, I suppose, shows as they're going through the rebuild that they're going to have guys like Duncan and Corey Gregson, who won the uh, Rising Star for this round, come out and put on a bit of a show. And it's not just up to Selwood and Kelly and the older blokes anymore. It's um, younger guys coming through, getting the results. Geelong kicked seven goals to one in the first quarter, uh, 11 goals to two in the first half, and then kicked seven goals to two to bring home the game. So it, it, it was an impressive result, really, for Geelong, who have not had the best of starts to the season. Uh, the goal kickers for Geelong, uh, Motlop kicked three, Gregson three, Clark two, Lang, Johnson, Stanley, Hawkins, Selwood, Murdoch, and Cockatoo one each. Uh, for Collingwood, Swan kicked two, Cloak kicked two, White kicked two, Pendlebury and Crisp. Cloak coming under some fire for his goal kicking, apparently. Oh, his... one was shocking. It was the standard 15 metres in front and uh, shanked it. And I, I don't know how he does it. And you can just tell as he's dropping the ball that it's not going to go in. And there's, it's amazing how, I think one of the commentators mentioned in another game that it's, you know, after so many years, it's one thing that has not improved in footy. And it's just amazing that a player can be more comfortable kicking from 40 to 50 out than directly mm. in front 15 metres out. I know, I know the feeling because I have to watch Levi Casbold every week. <laughs> Maybe Cloak should get tips from Casbold. Might mm. improve his kicking. I tell you, I but, thought it was... But just... you know, sorry, sorry, fellas, it's actually a very, very common um, occurrence in today's game because it's not just players like Cloak. It's actually more widespread than you think. And I think that's just take, been taken away from the philosophy of, of uh, you know, clubs putting such an emphasis on player recovery where they send them home with oxygen masks on and, and tell them to do this and do that and not uh, risk any injury. But back in the old day when they, they would go and they practice their kicking, their set shots at goal, they just don't seem to be doing enough of that. At the uh, Dog Saints game, I mean, Tom Boyd missed two, three sitters. You know, we were talking about 10, 15 metres out from goal. Um, J- Jake Stringer, again, he can't kick a set shot. He'll kick anything that involves him running around and moving at ground level. But when it comes to set shots, there's a lot of players that their skills for kicking for goal and their set shot conditions are really poor. Well, there's a, there's a thing where fitness staff at clubs are apparently not keen on the players practising their goal kicking. Because exactly. it's a risk, point? it's a risk to injury, and so they go out there and they get into the game and really have no idea what they're doing. And you've really got to take it upon yourself to um to to practice your own goal kicking in your own time, I guess. And it's um, one thing that Freo has actually focused on this off season because previously we struggled with goal kicking and it probably hurt us in um, last couple of years and they've actually spent a bit of time. It was noticeable in the off season, all the training reports coming through that that a lot of the end of sessions and even though in past it was taboo to you know practice goal kicking especially at the end of this session but it's what the coach wanted to practice when you're under fatigue actually just nailing your set shots and it's definitely helped us this year go into it and um it's definitely kicking straighter from years gone past so there's something in it well the other question too is i mean the other thing is how do players gauge you know, the effect of the wind on kicking at each end of the game or each end of the ground. When it's windy outside, they're playing in outside conditions or the roof's open or at the MCG, whereas, you know, back in the days, teams would go out there, practice kicking for about 10, 15 minutes, get used to the conditions. None of that seems to be happening anymore for, mm. for that particular reason where, you know, the, the, the staff of the club medicos are so worried about players, um, you know, injuring themselves. And I think they're just missing the really important facets of the game of players being able to get out there get a feel for the ground, get a feel for the conditions. 
Well, it's noticeable as well that this year the number of goals being kicked is less as well. I don't think that uh, goal kicking is in a good way at the moment. And I, I did notice that Fev, a good old Brendan Favola, was in the paper the other day offering goal kicking lessons to uh, Levi Casbolt. Um, and he'd probably be wise to take them, I think. You can say what you like about Fev and his behavioural issues, but one thing he could do was kick a goal, and he could kick a footy. So, I mean, look, there's, you're right. There's plenty of plays there. You, you separate the off-field incidents and, and how they were field, and uh, you, you look at their abilities on the field to kick goals. And there's a number of, there are a number of plays from that era, from, you know, when you're looking at Paul or Favola, who were fantastic kicks of the footy. Mm. Um, even someone like Akermanis was a good kick of the footy um, mm. for a set shot. So these guys should really be coming into play by clubs looking out for these guys' experience to be able to teach young guys how to kick set shots, how to kick for goal. Because a lot of the time, when they're looking or when they're trying to kick at goal, they're doing the old things. If they're leaning back, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're doing all sorts of funny things. They're not leaning over the ball, not kicking through the ball. And, and I think a standard of kicking for goal is, is really poor. Mm. We're going to move on uh, to the second game of the round, Saturday morning, well, Saturday afternoon. North Melbourne played Richmond at what was billed as a sellout game at Blundstone Arena or Bell Reeve Oval to the old-fashioned Fegel. Uh, 16,000 watched this game between uh, the Roos and the Tigers and North Melbourne winning this game by 35 points. Uh, 16 13, 10-14-74 for North Melbourne. Thomas kicked five very good goals, apparently. Uh, Higgins kicked three, Harvey two, Nahas two, Brown, Wright, Petrie and Wait with one each. Uh, Waite still not suspended for the year to the absolute astonishment of everyone at Carlton. Uh, at Richmond, uh, Rewalt kicked three, Miles two, Martin Marich, Morris, Edwards and Chaplin one apiece. So a, a good result for North Melbourne at uh, quote-unquote home. That's an interesting result just to see how close the game was. Mm. No more than a, a goal or two in it for the whole first of the half, just going mm. back and forward between those two sides. And it was, a, I suppose, a hard one to tip on paper, but you think just at this stage that North are just in front of Richmond, but you really expect um, Richmond to do a lot better considering where their sort of list is at. and it's just uh, amazing how much Richmond have dropped off from uh, the end last year. Mm. Well, let's 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 look at back the previous week. North Melbourne were rattled by Hawthorne um, to the tune of seventy points, so they really had to come out this weekend and and stamp some authority and get their groove back. So I think they've done that. I actually tipped Richmond in this game, um, but I'm not surprised to see them lose. I thought they would, you know, get a bit of fight back and and start stirring up. But I think Richmond are in trouble. I, I think they're going to be, you know. Um, in trouble this year and find themselves in the bottom four if they're not uh, careful. Mm. All right, the next game was the Western Bulldogs in St Kilda at Etihad Stadium. Uh, Mike, I did uh, tip uh, your Bulldogs to win and they let me down here. Uh, the Dogs going down 13-9-87 to the Saints, 14-10-94. Uh, yeah, look, this, this is really easy. This is really easy to summarise. Um, they they went too hard, too fast, and the problem with the dogs is they do not know, or they're, they're young enough and inexperienced, and they don't know how to conserve their energy for the game. Um, the first two quarters, they come out absolutely running everywhere like mad chooks, you know, with heads, their heads cut off. But uh, they just couldn't sustain that level of um, energy, and you know, it takes an experienced. Um, and hard-bodied team to be able to learn to conserve their efforts for the full four quarters. 
you know, I, I, I was at the game on Saturday, but I knew within the first five to ten minutes of the third quarter that they were in trouble because their whole body language was down. They were they were jogging on the spot. So, you know, a lot of players couldn't run um, and just finding it really hard to get to, to get going. And, you know, St Kilda, St Kilda being a more experienced and, and a fitter team on the day, they, they seized that opportunity. They sensed that the dogs were tied. Um, and that's exactly what it was, tied dogs. And uh, they ran ragged, they ran, uh, ran ragged in the last second half. And, uh, you know, to their credit, came back and uh, snatched the game. So, but, um, you know, I'm not really worried about the result in terms of the dogs um, because we can see what they're capable of. It's now a case of um, tuning the list and uh, getting some more endurance into the into the Bulldog outfit. And I think, uh, you know, yesterday was a Sorry, Saturday's results. Um, I don't think it's really going to uh, hit them too hard. You know, it wasn't obviously something to be proud of, but I think they'll take that on board. And you know, another another season or so, I think they'll be uh, starting to improve their endurance. Okay. Uh, upset of the round probably goes to the GWS Hawthorne game. Uh, GWS getting over this by ten points up at Spotless Stadium. Uh, for GWS, Jeremy Cameron kicked seven goals. Devin Smith kicked three for Hawthorne. Roughhead, uh, Smith, Gunston and Harton kicked two apiece. Um, what can you say? Well, it... I, I was sat down with um, some Frio guys before the game and we watched the uh, basically the second half. It was pretty much tied up, I think, just before half-time. The, the way that GWS ran... Oh, you could, it looked like Hawthorne was sluggish or they had something that just slowed them down at half-time. But the mm. way their midfield moves and pushes forward was exciting to watch and it got the whole pub just cheering on. And I'll tell you what, Jeremy Cameron can probably win the uh, Coleman this year the way he's going. I know he's behind Kennedy at the moment, but the way he plays and he's he's not just that key forward. He's, he's almost like a bit of a goal sneak as well. The stuff that he gets out from nothing is brilliant and the way that GWS just pushed on with you know everything that Hawthorne was throwing at them was um, really impressive and, and the fact that you know they uh, I think they lost the clearances by ten the Giants but they still managed to um, you know venture inside fifty and and get some crucial goals as the game would look like it was slipping away from them right towards the end when um, Hawks took the lead back and GWS just pushed on. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Seppo about their Hawthorne's performance in the third quarter. And, and fourth quarter with, you know, them looking absolutely sapped. And when I watched them, I, I was seeing the Bulldogs all over again. Um, they're exactly the same, you know, running with absolutely no energy. And this is probably a good talking point around, you know, teams. Are they doing the right thing to conserve the energy? Because in this day and age, with the ability of, of, of uh, or how quickly the, the game can change, you start to see problems when, when teams are down with some of their most experienced players, like Hawthorne were down, Hodge and Lewis, we were down... Um, you know, Matthew Boyd. Um, but, you know, are teams trying too hard to do something that's not possible and, and maintain a high level of activity for four quarters? And, look, GWS were great. Would GWS have been that great if Hodge and Sill were there? I don't know, you know. But, you know, they were, good, they were a good outfit to watch, you know, no, no doubt about that. I think it was a really good victory for GWS to get their momentum in swing for this year as well. Some major concerns for my club who play them next week. Uh, the the Blues. I don't think we're a, don't think we're a hope in hell at the moment. 
and that's, well, that's playing them in Melbourne. So, <laughs> <laughs> in what will be the lowest crowd in the history of the game for some time. Uh, Saturday evening, the, there were six games on the Saturday, which is a rarity in itself, but uh, the Gold Coast played Adelaide in uh, Carrara, and by all reports, they played that bad that for the first time in memory, there were reports of Gold Coast supporters leaving the ground at three-quarter time, uh, according to the Gold Coast Suns board. It's... Um, it's not pretty up there at the moment, and this game certainly didn't help matters. The Crows winning this game 18-11 uh, to 11-12. Uh, Eddie Betts kicking five goals. Taylor Walker kicking four for the Gold Coast. Dixon kicked three. Um, yeah. <laughs> I suppose this this result was always going to happen with Gold Coast dropping, what, six or seven people with suspensions <laughs> and everything like that. But apparently they'll be coming straight back in because just reading the reports in the NEFL, I think Harley Bennell... Racked up something like 40 touches. Yeah, apparently they played very drop. well in the reserves. So. Yeah, so they'll be coming straight back. So it's, I suppose, a hard lesson that they, you know, with those guys in, they might have actually fought that well, especially up on their home deck, which is always, you know, these days a bit harder for teams to travel up there. And Gold Coast have knocked some big sides off in the past up there. But I think without those guys, it was that result was a foregone conclusion. Mm. Melbourne played Sydney on Saturday night as well. Um not really uh not really a fantastic game by all reports but the swans getting this one by 38 points in the end uh garlic kicking two for melbourne tippett kicking four uh hogan kicking two for, another two for melbourne kennedy kicking another two for sydney um 26000 watched this game in well on a relatively cold night but other than that not not much to um take home from this other than the fact that Jack Watts was a sub, which I thought was quite odd. But... <laughs> yeah, someone else was making the observation that like there were Brownlow medalists starting on the bench for both sides. Um, Goods was on the bench for the Swans. It was a weird game in that regard. And the other game on Saturday night, Fremantle and Essendon Seppo. Uh, your mob getting up there quite uh, happily in the end by 28 points. I was lucky enough to actually go across to this uh, game, one of the first games I've actually watched Frio live in Western Australia for many years, and it was good to be over there and, and just watch a game. But it, it was very odd. It was quite flat and clinical, and the atmosphere wasn't as what I'd expect. I would almost say that watching games over here at venues like the MCG and Eddie had are a lot more exciting than going to Subiaco and just... Uh, it was clinical and very flat the way they came out. The only exciting thing was that we had a uh, a debutante with Alex Pierce. That I just love the way that when you see a debutante or a player like Fletcher or something like that just get a, a cheer every time they get a disposal. It was sort of good to see that right through there. But we did our usual push out to a big lead and and then sort of just pop it into uh, cruise control. And I think Sydney probably did that as well against Melbourne that we... Um, got to a decent enough margin close to you know 50 or 60 points out and what our board has actually noticed is it's a ploy it's not just you know by fitness that we're dropping off we're actually making some structural changes and ross mentioned after in the press conference that we're doing structural things like not once in that last quarter did we have the a starting midfield of sandy tapping down to fife and Monday and hill that we just three different people in the center and it's something that we're probably looking at man, man management to get through the year and we're lucky in the position we're in that if we rest guys like Fife at full forward 
we don't probably don't have to you know pull him out for a full game if we do that two or three games and just limit his uh, impact and the stress on the body with all the extra flights we're going to do might actually save us having to rest a full player at some point. Mm. Uh, just on this Pavlich kick four, um, I actually thought he was injured, but apparently not. No, he had a concussion last week, but he pulled up fine, both him and Walters. Walters only kicked one, but he looked a bit flat from last week, so he must have taken his knock a bit harder. Um, but Pavlich, yeah, certainly put on a good show early and didn't do much in the last quarter, but was um, very solid early on. In a very forgetful game on Sunday, Brisbane played Carlton at Etihad Stadium. Uh, a relatively low turnout for Mother's Day, despite offering two-for-one tickets and all sorts of things. And kids getting in for free and free whatever else they're doing down there these days. But uh, Levi Casbolt kicking four goals. Uh, McStay for Brisbane kicking four. Um, it was an appalling display of football. <laughs> I suppose you could say the uh, Carlton football was uh, really yeah. honoured Mother's Day like playing like women. I, I think it was. We yeah. would have been better off with our mums out there. Like, <laughs> Just it was an appalling display. For I've never yeah. seen such. A, I was saying to someone earlier tonight that this is the worst I've seen Carlton play since you know two thousand three, two thousand four. It's 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 that bad at the moment, and I, I would go so far as to say our our present ruckmen are not a patch on the rucks we had in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and if you remember, that was guys like David Cloak, and uh, you know. Merrington and other guys who were very forgetful in that uh, in that area. So um, I'm, I'm is not there any I'm... shining light of that game. Like is Tom Bell or Caswell with his four goals even Patrick right home about Patrick Cripps is the only well is the is the, well obviously Caswell kicking four and he and he, he's a very good mark of the footy and he, he I, I I personally would just park him at full forward and comfortably assume he could mark anything that goes down there, but. Um, it's everyone else that's the problem. Patrick Cripps is a standout for me, though. He's just such a... He, he wants the ball. You can tell he wants the ball, and he goes in for it, and he just keeps driving. Uh, Bell's another one who does the same. But at the moment, no Jamison, no Simpson. Uh, Cruiser returned in the reserves on the weekend, so the mythical beast may finally actually return to the AFL one day. It's, it's not a good look at the moment for the Blues, and at the moment would be the, one of the favourites for the Wooden Spoon, I suspect. No, um, unfortunately, you've got guys like uh, Liam Jones and uh, Andre right. Everett who, who aren't really doing enough to earn their keep or earn their spot and not, not putting enough effort in to provide solid uh, options up forward for you guys. Well, just I don't like Jones at the moment. He can't mark yeah. it. He can't kick yeah. it. He just... It, it, there's... There's not a lot of positive there for me. I don't know what he's doing in the side at the moment. He's had six weeks to try and get something out of it, and he's not put out anything. He didn't do a hell of a lot in the preseason for mine. Um, he needs to go and spend some time in the resis. But then the question becomes: Do we have a, a you know a mid-sized forward that could come in, or do we you know send Walker forward? It's it, there's there's some issues there that have to be worked out. And Malthouse has proven very inflexible in his game plan and his selections to be able to do that. So it's it's going to be um, a, a long, long year. <laughs> 
Moving to, along the more exciting things, and Port Adelaide played West Coast on Sunday night. This game won by Port Adelaide by 10 points in front of the largest Mother's Day crowd. That'll be West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in, in front of the largest Mother's Day crowd since uh, 1998, apparently. So 38,000 at Port Adelaide, which is very low for an Adelaide Oval crowd in the last year and a half. But um, still the largest Mother's Day crowd for some time. Uh, but yeah, so 10 points to Port Adelaide there. Uh, 10 points to West Coast. Ah, uh, West Coast, sorry. I think the West Coast fans would be pretty upset with you for doing that twice now. Yeah, the West Coast fans are already <laughs> upset with me, so... <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, you know, at the start of this round, I would have... I'm, we, we've got a, a ton team tipping comp on a 3-0 board where you have to pick a dead set certain every week and you can't pick the same size a couple in a row. And, and I really thought, looking at this, that Port were home and hose and there was mm. no chance, you know, stacking up their midfields at West Coast travelling at the... Adelaide Oval will be anything, but I really started to doubt myself and watching all these upsets going on, I, I came up to the last game thinking, surely not. Sure, West Coast can't do this against Port at home. And, and even though Port did look pretty good and they had good patches, it's just amazing how Eagles have actually... You know, everyone talked about their injuries at the start of the year, but all of a sudden they're second, sitting second on the ladder yeah. and um, have, have caused finally to start to lose that tag of flat track bully that they've carried for pretty much the last few years because it's been that long since they've beat a top eight side. Now, I don't know, technically Port Adelaide weren't in the eight, so I don't know if they they uh, really can claim that one, but um, they're certainly starting to improve and it just shows that, you know, West Coast probably are potential to make the top eight this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, Port are definitely, though, you know, you, you definitely put Port as a, as a top eight finisher this year. So they'll, they'll definitely be in people's books for finals contenders. But yet, you, you're, you're on the mark there. I think West Coast are, are doing far better than people expected, uh, especially at the start of the year when, when they're a little bit flat and they, they dropped a few games. Um, but, you know, surprisingly, they're doing very well. I think they've got to, they've got to keep, uh, you know, Josh Kennedy... Um, Cotton Waldo, and he's got some pending elbow issues there. So if they can uh, keep that under control, then they'll be in for a decent chance. Okay, the ladder for the round after, well, the ladder for the year after the round has just completed, and Fremantle on top, undefeated. Well done, uh, Seppo's boys. West Coast, so the WA lads are dominating the ladder. Uh, West Coast on top six and four, but it is percentage ahead of Collingwood and Sydney and Adelaide and GWS and the Western Bulldogs. So uh, a bit of a logjam there between second and seventh uh, percentage separating all of them. Uh, Hawthorne coming in eighth spot after their loss to GWS uh, on percentage from North Melbourne, Port Adelaide, Essendon and Geelong. Uh, the bit of a gap there to 13th. Uh, Richmond on two and four with St Kilda and Melbourne. And then uh, the lowly three, Gold Coast, Carlton, and Brisbane, one and five. So, yes. Good stuff from the WA lads, though. I love West Australians. They're fantastic people. Um, you guys should be very proud of yourselves. And hopefully stop accusing me of bad things on the forum. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> a bit of ice there, hey, Wook. <laughs> Apparently, this is the first time. I, I saw some tweet go out after the Freo game after we uh, finished on top. This is the first time after round six that a side's been two games clear since 1956, I think. 
So it's amazing that a lot of clubs have fallen away that yet we're a standout and we've got two games clear. So it must be uh, quite hard to do considering it hasn't been achieved in that period of time. Mm, mm. Well, it's, you know, we're only six rounds in, so there's still a long way to go yet. And and I think what the what, what the interesting thing is is that the amount of games or, or the results that we've seen over the last six weeks, you know, you, you can't take anything for granted these days and you're going, to be, you're going to see a lot more upsets, I think, as the year goes on. And I think that backs to the point I was making before. I think, you know, with the exception of the few teams um, towards the bottom of the ladder, it's, a, it's going to be a wide-open race this year around. Hmm. Now, leading goal kickers for the league, Josh Kennedy on 23, Eddie Betts on 20, Jeremy Cameron 19, Taylor Walker and Josh Bruce on 18, Jay Schultz on 17, and then Lance Franklin, Jake Stringer, Jared Ruffhead and Jack Rewalt all on 16 goals apiece. Uh, leading disposals, uh, perhaps surprisingly, David Armitage from St Kilda, uh, well clear at the top there, ahead of Nat Fife, and then uh, Hanbury Lewis on, uh, and then uh, Pendlebury, Watson, Prittis, Shield, Prestia, and Beams. So, not that it means much these days. I think there's too much emphasis on accumulation and not, uh, not, so, not so much on accurate disposal, but. You know, that's me. Uh, Corey Gregson's the, uh, the rising star for the round uh, from Geelong. Apparently uh, uh, juggled footy with gymnastics when he was growing up. So there you go. There you go. Now, now interesting with the uh, AFL Coaches Association votes that uh, Nate Fife picked up another eight votes and it actually leaves him, I think it's like, 21 votes clear to um, Armitage or Hanbury or one of the guys that are sitting second. And he's polled 50 out of a possible 60 votes. So he Jeez. hasn't dropped too many so far this year from the coaches' eyes, and I'm just thinking that might translate well to uh, Brownlow votes yep. as well. As long as he doesn't get suspended. Yep. <laughs> and honestly, there's a small part of me that hopes he gets suspended in, like, round 23. Oh, you sick oh, you're harsh. You are harsh. <laughs> if oh, Messenger just... here, he would be saying that. So, uh... oh, we, we said that last week when you weren't here. <laughs> so, um, in uh, We're going to get to injuries in a moment, but uh, to the match review panel, and I think pretty much everyone got away with stuff this week. Uh, Jake Stringer got a $1,500 fine. Ryan Schumacher's got a $1,000 fine. Uh, Lyndon Dunn got a $1,000 fine. Uh, a bit of a melee there with some Carlton folks. They all got fines, and so did some Lions lads. The panel cleared uh, Harry Taylor for hitting Cloak. Uh, Callum Ward and Will Langford's wrestling charges were also thrown out. Uh, Bell got away with throwing someone over the boundary. Um, and Mark Baggerly got a $1,000 fine. So all up about $16,500 worth of fines, and that's about it. So big day at the office for the match review panel. Um, very quickly, on to injuries. And Mike's got a, a thing or two he wants to say in a moment, but uh, we're going to... Uh, Josh Cowan's got a bit of an injury there. I'm just getting down to that list. Joel Selwood, uh, his hand was thought to be broken, um, but is uh, cleared of any fractures and should be okay to play on Saturday. Harry Taylor had a bit of a cork thigh. Daniel Hanabry... Uh, should be okay to play. The Cats apparently had a bit of a, um ankle injury, but uh, 
some strapping and some physio apparently will fix that. Maybe they've got Mr. Miyagi down at uh, down at Cadinia Park. Brad Ebert had a very uh, very badly corked thigh apparently, but is expected to play uh, for the uh, against the Lions on Sunday. Port expects Jay Schultz to play despite a heavy cork as well. Uh, Sam Dwyer uh, subbed out on uh, against Geelong with a painful right ankle and a lower shin injury, but uh, they don't expect him... Well, he's in doubt for the game against Richmond, although he is expected to train. And Mike Kobe-Stevens copped a bit of a knock to the lower part of his back, apparently. And That's correct. was a bit sore. He'll have some physio, and they expect him to be a chance, well, a reasonable chance to play against Frio in in the big game on Sunday. And uh, Shane Savage and Ben Griffiths, uh, with a bit of concussion, they'll have to pass some tests to uh, play this weekend. Now, Mike, uh, the injury that wasn't mentioned there was Clay Smith. Now you've got some things you want to get off your chest here. I think uh, the point that I wanted to make was in terms of, you know, the ability for doctors to, over, club doctors to overrule the coaches and, and, and coaching staff in terms of players' welfare. And uh, what, what actually happened for Clay Smith, if people aren't aware, about 15 minutes before, or 15 minutes halfway into the uh, second quarter, um, Clay Smith was contesting a ball on the boundary line and he uh, was midair and ended up landing awkwardly um, hyperextending his knee and uh, went down to the ground straight away. So he was uh, taken off the ground and uh, the doctors did a uh, quick assessment on him and uh, the doctor actually in charge said that uh, he'd ruptured his ACL. So um, if anyone's not sure, Clay Smith has uh, had had two knee reconstructions in uh, two years on that particular ACL. The problem, though, with that is, is that Clay Smith wasn't feeling the immediate effects of that injury and was still convinced that he could go on and pass, um, even though the doctors had advised against it, um, which he did. And then about 10 minutes later at uh, half time, he'd gone down again, um, doing further damage to his knee. Now, the, the question is this, or, or rather the issue is this, is that um, the reasoning behind letting Smith go back on the ground was that... Uh, they believed that um, medical staff said they would they were 100% confident that Smith had completely ruptured his ACL graft on the first instance, and they took a calculated risk that he wouldn't suffer further damage to his knee if he went back out, out on the ground. And I, I don't believe that is a reasonable um, approach to take from a player's welfare. If the club doctors are convinced that a player has suffered a serious injury, such as a, as a ligament tear, which can do some significant damage to the knee joint um, if it's not looked after and contained. You don't send them back out in the park there to suffer further damage um, and risk further injury. So I think in these situations where we've got the concussion rule, um, which protects the player's heads, I think we need to go one step before the AFL needs to go one step further and give doctors a little bit more power to override coaches and complaints uh, and coaching staff where uh, a player's welfare is at risk when they're already injured. Um, as I, and as I said before the start of the show, you wouldn't send a player out with a broken leg on the excuse that, well, he can't break it any worse, can he? Mm. No, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? Well, exactly, and especially in this day and age in terms of, you know, litigation, um, 
are we going to see players suing clubs now? Are we going to see, you know, hypothetically, Clay Smith sue the club um, when, you know, he finds out that doctors were sure or he goes back and, uh, you know, the doctors said that uh, it was a calculated risk and he was okay to go back out there, even though they acknowledged that he damaged his ACL. You know, these are all the sort of things that clubs are going to need to, or the AFL is going to need to think about now. You know, you've got to put the player first. You've got to put their welfare first and their and their, their uh, well-being first, and and not only you know mitigate the chance of litigation, but do things with a bit of common sense. And you know, I mean, look, there would I don't think the common sense prevailed in this case. Um, if I was the coach or if I was the medical staff, I would have said and been adamant, no, Clay, you are not going back out there, regardless of how you feel. This is a situation you've already had two reconstructions on that uh, ligament. Um, enough is enough, you know, sit down, take a break. And I believe it's also, uh, you know, giant Tim Moore has ruptured his ACL, left ACL for the second time in less than 10 months. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of knee injuries and I think I think it's time the AFL looks beyond the concussion all and starts extending, um, you know, further tests in terms of players' fitness after a major injury, or, um, you know, during the course of the game to make sure that they're not going back out there to put themselves or anyone out else at further risk and definitely think the doctor should have more say in it like the uh, concussion rule than what a, a coach would have especially you know putting the player back out there if you know if it's the game's tight or if there's you know a couple minutes to go even though the risk is small it should really be up to the doctor to say if a player's good to go and mike do you know how you came about this information was it an observation by someone on the board or is this publicly reported through the bulldog no, this, this is this is this is public knowledge so this has been always public um so you just wonder if they kept notes or or if there's any proof or record of what the doctors actually said to Clay or to the coach on the game day? Well, this is actually reported on the AFL website that Larkins, Doc Larkins, uh, had said that the Bulldogs medical staff were 100% confident that Smith had completely ruptured his ACL graft um, and after that had taken a calculated risk, he wouldn't suffer any further damage to his knee by letting him go out. Now, you've got to think about that for a moment and think, hang on, guys, you know, if a player has suffered serious damage to their knee joint um, or to any joint where they're already going, they've, they've already had um, significant surgery in such a short time and that's a contentious issue, why would you put them out there to risk the chance of further injury? Mm. And you, you guys know, had already made the sub at that stage and the game was in the balance, wasn't it? No, he, no, he, he was subbed off. So Hunter had come on in the second half for for uh, for uh, Smith. I think you know, and the problem the problem with this instance is is that because of a lack of powers in the club doctors, you know, Smith Clay Smith was allowed to use his own judgment um, to to make the decision to go back on the ground, you know, and, and and play through, which in hindsight was not the right decision. So. You know, players will get emotional, and especially at this stage, you know, guys like uh, Clay Smith and, and where those guys have suffered long-term injuries and trying to get out and play and prove a point, you know. it's You've got to think about the long-term and the bigger picture uh, and, and the issues that these guys can suffer later in life when they're talking about knee replacements and serious, uh, serious injuries or, or corrective surgeries. So I just think with the way, you know, the game is these days, a fast-paced game, we've got to be a little bit more conscious now about, you know, how far we let a player go to put their body on the line um, to risk injury. Mm, No, absolutely. It's all all very good points there, Mike. Um, Some work to be done there by the AFL once it speaks. I don't think we've heard the last of this either. 
I know it's being covered in depth on Footy Classified later tonight. Mm. And I imagine AFL 360 covered it as well. So, Well, it's probably a good point that the AFLPA is taking out because, you know, how long do you let it go before we start having a major problem with players doing their knees or, or you know, an issue where it's not a concussion but players have You know, in this day and age, would you let Dermot Burton go out with a punctured lung to play footy? You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's all it's all a very good point. No, so that's it for the night. Thank you very much for uh, listening. Thanks for coming on, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you once again, gentlemen. Thank you very much, uh, Seppo. No worries. Great to be on here, this Pioneer Review podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back Thursday night for the main podcast and the previews for the round and all the news from the week and Messenger to give grief to. We all look forward to that. Thank you very much. We'll see you all on the forums.